Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Homebrew All-Stars, where we pick the brains of 25 of the world's best brewers and get them to give you their tips, tricks, and secrets. Now, between the two of us, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and even stranger ideas. Boy, he is. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. Well, after last week's episode, we survived answering all your questions, and apparently... You guys enjoyed us answering your questions because we have more questions, but not today. We're going to save those. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, but on today's episode, we are going to get to some feedback. We're going to hit the pub and talk through some of the beery news in the world because guess what? There's been a bunch. We're going to hit the library just to talk a little bit about some more yeast stuff. And in the brewery, cover a couple things. But also talk about some cryo powder, which leads to the lab. International correspondent and Igor Eric Pierce who, while traveling to Singapore, interviewed his friend John Wei, who has a brewery there in Singapore and started as a Singaporean home brewer. So learn how, how it happens in other countries. And then, of course, as always, we are going to leave you with a quick tip and something other than beer before getting you on about your daily beery, beery, beery way. Man, I'm exhausted just listening to that. Get prepared to be even more exhausted as we listen to some sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 46,000 beer lovers. Since 1978, the AHA and its members have worked to promote and celebrate the homebrewing hobby and community. Join today for six issues of Zymergy Magazine, AHA member discounts on beer, food, and brewing supplies, access to exclusive events and competitions, and a bunch of other cool stuff that'll take too long to list here. Head over to homebrewersassociation.org or experimentalbrew.com and get yourself a member. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Hey, welcome back. We want to let you know that there's a new episode of The Brew Files that came out about a week ago. It's called Wild for Mild, and Drew kind of like digs into the history and brewing of mild ale, and it's like pretty cool, man. Yeah, a long line of taxation, scientific improvement, and industrialization, and really just how many different forms of mild are there? Because it turns out there's a few. Yeah, really. And uh, with any luck, uh, there will be one more when I finally perfect my American mild recipe. Yeah, people are uh, people aren't waiting with bated breath for that one right now. They're just trying to poke you. Yeah, they they shouldn't. They shouldn't. But you know what? I I am actually formulating an idea as we speak. Well, actually, before we spoke, but uh, it's coming. There you go. And stand back, people. If you smell burning in Central Oregon, 
You know what's the cause. That's right. Enough of that. Don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It is Habitat for Humanity, helping people build their own homes to fight homelessness. Great, great organization. Works in every state in the union. Works probably in your community, and uh, we want you to help us help them out. Uh, former President Jimmy Carter, who signed the home brewing law, is a big supporter of Habitat for Humanities and builds houses, as was my dear departed mother. Uh, so please pledge a couple bucks in honor of Jimmy, my mom, and uh, help out some people do good things. People named homes, folks. That's right. And now it's time for feedback. feedback. <laughs> That's right. It's feedback time. And of course, the, the, all the feedback from this week's uh, is from the last episode of the Brew Files, uh, Wild for Mild. And very first one was a comment left on our website by Adam Stein, who, uh, well, you know, he he was the one who did a presentation on Mild uh, last year at the Homebrew Con that reminded me, you know, I got to talk about Mild. So uh, Adam says, uh, drink more Mild. Great episode and a great job of quickly covering what is a very long and convoluted history. I'm very much in favor of brown malt and milds. i comment that I didn't like brown malt, but more like 5 to 10% of the grain bill. Also want to note that the molasses used for replicating Brewer's Invert is blackstrap molasses and is much stronger flavored than standard molasses people use for baking. And I personally don't bother to make the syrup anymore. The inversion isn't important for the yeast, but it is important for storage as a syrup rather than a block of sugar that is quite difficult to remove from a jar. I just add table sugar and blackstrap to the boil kettle on brew day to save myself some time and effort. So there you go. Handy tip. Thank you, Adam. And thank you for listening. Really? And then a Reddit comment that I really swear it's just amazing comes from a Reddit user baking the cookies, <laughs> right? My favorite style. I had a dental hygienist listen to this while she cleaned my teeth. There was a great distraction from the teeth cleaning and said she really enjoyed it. She and I both learned some things. Great work, which I think is probably the nicest way I've ever had somebody say that my voice is dulling and soothing. <laughs> I'll take it, man. <laughs> well, that, one, that one made me laugh. That's awesome. Uh, happy, happy to help make the uh, dentistry a more pleasant experience. And our final comment actually comes from here in LA from listener Zach Drummond, uh, who says, another fantastic podcast, perfect way to pass the time while stuck in LA traffic. I just wanted to drop a note regarding Eagle Rock Brewery Solidarity, which is one of the beers that we talked about because it's one of my favorites. As a bartender and beer lover in the L.A. area, I thought it might be worth mentioning that this particular Dark Mild isn't quite dead. I've seen it pouring at the Old Chalet, a.k.a. the Black Boar, in Eagle Rock, and I've personally poured it on Nitro at the Glendale Tap, which is a great bar, by the way. You nailed it when you said it's popular amongst bar staff. I'm always stoked when I see Solidary come back. I don't know the exact brewing schedule. Perhaps it's just in seasonal rotation for ERB, but in my opinion, a seasonal beer is better than an extinct beer, especially when it's Solidarity. And yeah, Zach is right... It, Solidary does make an occasional reappearance about once or twice a year, and every time it does, I am super, super, super happy. But I am also super, super sad that it is no longer a solid, reliable, constant companion. And then finally, I did have a question out there for everybody. Some feedback that I want from you guys on the last episode. We did something slightly different with the Wild for Mild episode because it was just me talking the whole time. I actually put in music beds underneath my voice, so different music for each of the segments that we covered. Did you notice? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Should we do more of that? Let us know. Should we turn it up louder so you can't hear Drew so well? well uh, thank you for that. But yeah, uh, 
<laughs> Give us your feedback at Podcast Experimental Brew and tell us uh, tell us if you like that idea or if it worked for you. And if it didn't, that's perfectly fine, too. All right, moving on. Yes, indeed. We're going to shut up again and let you listen to some messages from our sponsors. We're going to be right back, so please stick around. Are you a fan of chocolate, but not of the mess that comes from using cacao nibs? Chalaka is your answer. A favorite of Tim Matthews at Oscar Blues, it contains only cacao and water. Chalaka is aseptically packaged, so you don't have to worry about any bugs coming along uninvited. Using only sustainably sourced cacao, every bottle of Chalaka you buy helps regrow the rainforests of Ecuador and Peru. Ask for Chalaka wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. Welcome back. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of Everywhere and Nowhere in your town, USA. We're having some beers and talking about the beer life. Uh, what are you drinking today, Drew? Well, I'm drinking a beer from the Long Beach Beer Lab, and it's called Rhinot, and it's their experimental saison that they make using their rye bread. And we'll get into them in a little bit more, but they're a really cool location with some uh, really sort of funky beers. But I really like this beer, and I'm just dang tasty. You know what, man? That sounds fascinating. I, I could actually get into something like that. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. I'm sitting here with a glass of Tsunami Stout from Pelican Brewing over on the Oregon coast in Pacific City. It's a foreign export stout, and it is just delicious. It's, uh, it's been snowing here recently, and kind of got me into a stout mood. So uh, I picked up one of these things. It's really nice. It's rich it's smooth it's hoppy enough to not be sweet but not so hoppy that the bitterness conflicts with the roast malts in it highly recommended if you have a chance uh yeah and you know i i wish i could have a a cold weather beer because it is actually finally cold here in la for just a little bit oh congratulations man yeah we've we had four inches of snow and uh now it's turning to rain so it's typical winter here in oregon Okay, so we are now back to the slowdown in craft beer growth and some side effects from it in the hop market. Yeah, so there have been a couple of articles recently where, you know, we had a hop supplier recently go, you know, sort of file for bankruptcy protection. But the real thing is that for even though we're seeing all of this growth in the craft beer world, you know, all these new breweries coming online, the hop growers are actually in a position where they are well, endangered in, in a way, you know, like in terms of at least, you know, the amount of profit that they're making. So a couple of articles, both in the Financial Times and in Forbes, and uh, I love the, 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 the Forbes title, which is Hop Vendors Swallow a Bitter Pill as They Confront an Oversaturated Market and Customers Who Can't Pay. So big thing is, you guys may remember if you've been around uh, for just a little bit that we had that hop crisis, right? When suddenly nobody had hops and, oh God, we're way too short. And if we had a third of the breweries we do now and all the hop growers basically went, Oh, okay, well we got to go plant fields and you know, it takes three years for a hop field to become you know fully functional. So between 2012 and 2017, 
the amount of hops actually grew to just about 53,000 acres, which is almost double what they had been in uh, 2012. So 2012 to 2017, American hop growers doubled the amount of hops that they're growing because, of course, everybody was expanding. And because everybody was expanding, you know, everybody needed more hops. People signed into these long-term contracts partially because of the hop crisis. You know, the idea of like, hey, no, I got, I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to secure my, my hops now so that I know I have them no matter what happens. And so now we're getting to the point where we're getting business slowdown and we're starting to see not only hop prices coming down, but now we have a bunch of people who have hop contracts who are breaking them or not paying their bills. And they're basically trying to do everything they can to get out of them because they may have signed the contract at a point when they expected that their business was going to be more robust and they were going to need more hops. Or they signed the contracts when the hop prices were higher and now they're cheaper. Or, you know, they have a business slowdown and they need way less hops. So that's rolling back. And this has always been a problem for the hop industry. The hop industry is very much this sort of boom bust thing where, you know, it goes up, boom, boom, boom. And then it busts and crashes down as, as things aren't quite regulated. And people thought they had this sort of dialed in recently. Yeah, I remember even as a couple of years ago, people talking about, oh, we're not going to have the same boom-bust cycle anymore because we know what we're doing now. We know how to, how to analyze this and keep ourselves steady. Well, it turns out, <laughs> not so. Yeah, you know what? It, it's a lot like we're seeing happen in the entire craft beer industry where there was stratospheric growth, people started expanding, and then when that growth levels off, they have debts that they can't pay, and you know, and the same kind of thing is happening here in the hop market too. And you know, people think, I mean, I don't know what people think about growing hops. Going to hop and brew school is quite an education in uh, learning what it takes to grow hops. On average, it can t- cost three million bucks to bring a new variety to market through the the development and uh, breeding and final final processing of that. So it it it's a very cost intensive industry, and you have to like really use a crystal ball, and that's the same kind of thing that's been happening with with breweries too. Well, and I think it's also where we're seeing sort of with this rapid turnover in hops. You know, like in terms of varieties and people always chasing kind of the new thing. I think we're also seeing some of that. Uh, according to the Forbes article, looplinexchange.com, which is a website that's out there for pro brewers to exchange hops and sell them and whatnot. They had, at the time of the article, nearly 2,500 listings offering 1.3 million pounds of hops for sale. That is a lot of hops being sold on a resale market. So... To me, I thought that was interesting. The other thing, of course, is if you look at some of the, the pricing, uh, after that hop shortage that happened in like 2013, 2015, you know, we saw like Citra, for instance, the price jumped all the way up to nearly $25 a pound. It's now going for closer to $12, $13 a pound. So you think about that from a hop producer's point of view, that's pretty deadly. Yeah, really. Well, and they make the point in this uh, article in uh, in Financial Times that Cascade, which was at six to seven bucks a pound in 2015, 2016, is now on the market for a dollar twenty. So that's like twenty percent of the price that it was going for just a year or two ago. That you know, <laughs> that is not going to keep hop farms in business. Yeah. So the real question is, what do we do about that? And I think, as much as Denny's going to hate me saying this, one of the answers is the next piece of news that we have 
which is that both Sam Adams and Sierra Nevada have both officially launched hazy New England-style IPAs in cans nationally. Now, why do I say that's going to be a, a boon? Well, because you take a look at how these New England IPAs are formulated. They're formulated with a lot of hops, particularly a lot of back-end hops, so a lot of late additions with you know, a lot of aromatic properties and more poundage necessary in order to get the sort of level of oils and bitterness that they want. So maybe, just maybe, that might help bank some of this off, depending upon if these are launched launch correctly, but I still think the hop growers are kind of uh, in for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, of, of course, they're, they're going to help things. It can't help but help. But I don't think that that's going to make a significant dent in what's going on right now, just uh, those two breweries. Oh, no, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's just the two breweries, but I do think that the overall sort of rise of the New England IPA thing is going to help a little bit because of how much hops they use. And anything, I mean, I can't go to a brewery anymore without there being at least one hazy IPA, and I'm over here in L.A. We've talked about where that might be going, too, so uh, I guess there's just a whole lot of wait and see involved in this, huh? Yeah, and now, I haven't had the Sam Adams uh, New England IPA yet, but I did have the Sierra Nevada one uh, just after it launched, and, you know, it's not bad. It's definitely a little bit hazier and a little bit softer than, say, you know, Sierra Nevada IPA or Sierra Nevada Celebration or Torpedo. But uh, it, it's not it's not in that full, you know, fruit juice type of realm thing that that some of these uh, beers like say Tre- Treehouse or Trillium or Tired Hands or, or those guys are in. But it's it's definitely interesting to see somebody uh, thinking about how to do this on a mass market scale. And now I've also seen people say that the Sam Adams New England IPA is actually really tasty and really well done, which I also think is really interesting given Jim Cook's historical opposition to IPA. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that comes to my mind is that uh, New England IPAs really need to be fresh when you get them. And so how is this going to work for a, a, a large national or international brewer to try and do this? Are they going to be able to put beer out there that tastes like it should after it's been shipped? Now, I know that uh, Sierra Nevada takes a lot of care with shipping their beer. All of their trucks are refrigerated. Uh, they're tracked uh, electronically from the brewery so that uh, the brewery can see where the trucks are, what the temperature is in, inside at any moment. And I know that they are great in terms of quality control and keeping oxygen away from the beer and stuff like that. But still, how are these beers going to travel and age as they get into market? We'll see, huh? Yeah, I think that's that's going to be a very interesting question, uh, particularly since this is a style that seems to be driven by, you know, hey, if you drank this two days after I went to the can, it's too late. Yeah, right, right. But, uh, but I will also so, say that both Sam Adams and Sierra Nevada – both have the techn- uh, technology and the technical skill to do as much as possible to minimize oxidation and other sorts of aging impacts that may or may not be at play here. Yep, that's right. That's right. And we've got another Sierra Nevada story too, huh? Oh yeah, that's right. It, it, this is a, a couple of, uh, I guess, what, about two months back now? That uh, Ken Grossman, uh, aka the founder and president of the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, donated a huge, huge gift to local Butte College uh, there in Chico. And he gave, I think it was two, uh, no, he gave one million out of a necessary $2.7 million to make it so that every 
kid going to Butte College could go for free tuition. So, right on, Ken. Thank you, man. Yeah, and so it turns out that is the largest gift ever given in the college's history. So that's pretty rad. And, of course, he's had a long history there in Chico and, you know, uh, is really a, a man of the community. So I thought that was pretty rad. I think it's very rad, man. And uh, for our next story, we go to England, uh, where there's a brewery and planning in Sheffield by Dan and Martha Holly Paquette. They are building a brewery in an old dairy building. Yep, right over there in in Sheffield. And why are we talking about this? Well, because Dan Paquette is one of my favorite people ever in terms of the brewing world. And if he had floated around New England and the UK for a number of years brewing beer, Last thing that people would have known him for was the Pretty Ales Project over there in Massachusetts, where he he was a gypsy brewer and producing some fantastic beers, including, you know, the very, very, very missed Jack Dior uh, farmhouse that that he brewed, along with the sort of English recreation ales that he worked on with, say, Ron Pattinson. And, man, just fantastic brewer. And, of course, uh, he got sort of driven out of business in some ways because... He was the one who who was the whistleblower for that big pay-to-play scandal that happened in Boston. You know, the one that ended up with the largest fine ever to a distributor. And after that, the beers sort of became blackballed by a lot of distributors and, and retailers. So Dan, uh, Dan and Martha ended up closing up the brewery and moving on. And now here we are a couple years later. It looks like they've surfaced over in Sheffield to go give it another run. Can't keep a good brewer down. <laughs> really? And for our last story, it's uh, back to the tale of Drew's selfless quest to find every brewery in Los Angeles and drink beer there. I like the fact that you substituted selfish for, uh, for the word stupid that I put into the, into the script. <laughs> well, selfless and stupid. Yeah, so L.A. County uh, Brewers Guild, there are currently 71 members listed on their website. And of those 71, 68 of them have open tap rooms. I have now been to all 68 of those open tap rooms, and plus I've been to a few that I know are coming up on the list, so I'll keep that list closed. But yeah, I, I, I have been to all the breweries in L.A. County, at least that are on that list, and I cannot help but think it's absolutely amazing where we've come in eight years. Uh, eight years ago, we had a handful of brew pubs and essentially one operating brewery, and they didn't have a tap room. They still don't have a tap room because they're cranky. And... We've gone from that to 78, you know, or we've gone from that to 68 with open tap rooms and about another dozen in the works. And so I had a really great time doing this. and I'm going to keep doing it as breweries open. In fact, I have two more to go to right now. And so the last three that I ended up going to were the brewery at Abigail, which took over an old cowboy bar and brewing company called Union Cattle Company right there on the beach. And absolutely great the whole place has got a punk uh, punk rock type theme but the beer itself was really nice and solid and uh, besides they also make those uh, uh pow you know the the brazilian cheese puffs those are fantastic to go with beer <laughs> and then i stopped at a, a, a place called zymergy brew works which was really interesting because it's simultaneously a bop you know brew on premises that you come in and you can learn how to brew they teach you how to brew and they'll also help you package up your beer and also a nano at the same time. So it was kind of part bop, part, part nano. And it was a really interesting uh, sort of concept to see. 
And that was only topped by the very last place I went to in terms of interesting concepts, which was the place where I had the beer from today, Long Beach Beer Lab. And it is a brewery and a bakery opened up by an Orthodox Jewish couple. And they do both aspects there. They they that, that explains the rye bread in the beer. Exactly. So they they make the bread on site. They have the bakery on site. They have a small brewery on site, but they also do uh, contracted work from other companies and pull it back to do uh, fermentation there. And they're planning on expanding, of course. Uh, but it was a really cool concept to go there and be able to have bread and beer from the same hands. And it really worked. It really worked nicely, and also some really really nice bread. So uh, when you run out of breweries, what are you going to do? Just kind of like pull over to the side of the road and drink a can of Miller High Life? Hand grenades and Mickey's all the way, buddy. (laughs) Right. Okay, that kind of closes out the beer life for today. We're going to take a quick break to let you hear some words from our sponsors and head over to the library where we're going to be talking about diversity in yeast. We'll be right back. Y-East would like to welcome everyone to the new year with our first release of private collection strains for 2018, inspired by the Pacific Northwest's ever-changing forecast of wintry mix. Y-East's Burton IPA blend, West Coast IPA, and Rocky Mountain Lager strains will lend their profiles to an array of malt and bitterness balances, mid-to-low ester formation, and most important, drinkability, for styles as varied as the weather ahead. Y-East has over 30 years of experience producing premium liquid yeast, so you can brew with the same quality, purity, and reliability as the professionals do. These strains will be available January through March at your local homebrew shop. For more information, visit yeastlab.com. We're sitting in the library now, shelves of books, nice leather chairs, the smell of cigar smoke and other smoke in the air, and we are looking at an article by our good friend Stan Hieronymus about diversity in yeast, and man, it is fascinating. Uh, basically, there are two major varieties, strains, what would you call them? Families. Families, there you go, referred to as Beer 1 and Beer 2, and it turns out the the Beer 2 has a lot in common with wine yeast. Yeah, so these two lineages, I mean, this is, by the way, if you listen to the episode a couple of weeks back where we talked with Brian from Sweet Generous, this is uh, some of the same stuff that he was talking about, but this is an article form, so a little bit, a little bit easier to digest, but yeah, basically two distinct beery lineages in terms of the world of yeast and then you get other things in there uh or i should say those are the ones that cover the majority of what we know and then you get other things covering from other parts of the world and it was really kind of cool you know they talked a little bit about the lineages and where how things got selected and i think what there were two two subgroups about uh whether or not they were sensitive ferulic acid right uh yeah right there was the uh phenolic off flavor positive and phenolic off flavor negative yeast and it turns out that the uh, phenolic off flavor negative yeast are the ones that kind of have been 
naturally selected uh, just through use uh, by most of the American and British brewers. And the phenolic off-flavor positive yeasts are the ones that are closer to wine yeast and uh, kind of show up in things like Belgian beer, Hefeweizen, and things like that. Yeah, and it was it was interesting to see that they were saying in early times people started to select for the POF negative ones pretty early as a as a thing that they wanted to do. Now, if you if you are curious about this because they have a really cool wheel that shows the sort of the family tree because it's not a family tree, it's a family wheel about how all these yeasts come together. I, what I thought was really interesting, of course, everything is labeled in such a way that you, they're sort of anonymized, so you can't really tell, like, oh, you know, that's WLP-01 versus something from Y-Yeast or from these guys. they sort of done some anonym, anonymization on there, but if you dig into the folks over at Milk the Funk, the original study was published in the journal Cell, and there's a couple of other ancillary things where the data wasn't as encoded, and so they've actually started to do cross-correlation to try and figure out, okay, what are these different yeast strains in terms of what it is that we can get our hands on? This was a, a project between a, a Belgian group and White Labs, and I just want to thank both of them for doing this because it's really fascinating info. Um, I'm actually going to be seeing Chris White in a few weeks over in New Zealand, so I'm hoping I can follow up a bit with him there. But one of the most fascinating things to me to come out of this was that Y-Yeast 1056 and White Labs WLP-001 are genetically different. So there you go, people who say, oh, they're the same yeast, they're the same yeast. Our first experiment showed that they were distinct. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We, we of course, didn't sequence the DNA, but uh, we did do sensory tests and uh, a few measurements, stuff like that, and got very different reactions to those two yeasts. So even though it is commonly thought that they're exactly the same, they are not exactly the same. As far as I know, both of them came from the uh, Ballantine Ale yeast, but obviously when the cultures got selected for 001 and 1056, they got slightly different cells in each one because they're not the same thing. Yeah, it turns out that monocultures are hard to keep monocultured. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, at any rate, this is a really, really fascinating article. We'll put a link to it up on our website so you can read it for yourself. Uh, Stan, thank you once again for your brilliant writing and bringing this to our attention. And uh, White Labs and everybody else, thanks for the work that you're doing on this. Yeah, and by all means, we'll also try and include some links to other discussions about this because uh, like we said with Brian and talking about that in the other episode, you know, this is the, this is that same sort of thing. It turns out our picture of yeast is radically incomplete. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, it's one of those things that when you think you know what it is, you find out that you really don't know what it is. And the more you know, the more you find out you don't know. Indeed. All right. That's kind of like the story of my life. Story of everybody's life. I thought I knew everything <laughs> when I was 16. Really? Okay, we're going to get out of here. We're going to head over to the brewery where we're going to be talking about an article written by my buddy, Ken Carmen from Nashville, about courtesy scoring and judging. And I got to say, Ken makes some great points. So stick around. We're going to be talking about that when we come back. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. 
their eighth-generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Mash tuns are bubbling, the beers are flowing, the grain is smelling wonderful, and the hops are floofting through the air. And so we must floofting. Be- Wait, did you did you say floofting? I did say floofting. I like that. I'm stealing it. Good. All right. So we're in the brewery. You knew this, and it's time to talk about beery things. So, Denny, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, this article that we ran across about the whole idea of a courtesy score? Yeah. Right. Um. I assume that most of you, and especially those of you who are BJCP judges, are familiar with the concept of the courtesy score, meaning that uh, when you're judging a competition, there is a minimum score that you don't go below, just so you don't seem like a jerk and uh, (laughs) discourage people from brewing. That score is usually a 13, but uh, Ken recently was judging at a competition where the minimum allowable score was a 17. And he's just not quite sure how he felt about that. Uh, I think I'm more sure than he is. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm I'm fairly certain. I don't... I mean, I appreciate the idea of the courtesy score because I've also seen people out there who just, you know, they get a bad beer. You get a beer that's obviously infected. You get a beer that is a gusher. You get something like this. And I've had some judges who, you know, I refuse to judge this. How dare you? And I've had other judges who are like, you get a four. And you kind of look at it and you go, you're kind of a raging dick. Um, But I know the other argument is, well, then why do you have a full 50-point scale? And it's like, well, I mean, look, this this thing of ours has multiple meanings. There are multiple reasons that we're doing it. So, yeah, number one in homebrewing is probably don't be a dick. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who forget that rule. And what I thought was interesting reading this, though, was, I mean, I've judged a bunch of competitions, and everywhere I've gone, you know, the courtesy score is 13. Yeah. But apparently, according to Ken, he's seen more and more where people are, the, the courtesy score is 17. And I've never seen that before. Have you? Yeah, I have, actually. I've judged it. Oh, I can think of two or three competitions where it was 17. And although I am totally behind the concept of a courtesy score, 17 is just way, way too high, in my opinion. If you look at a BJCP work, or if you look at a BJCP score sheet, you'll see that 17 is squarely in the middle of the fair range. Now, if a, if a beer is really bad, it can't be fair. And I understand wanting to be a nice guy and not discourage people, but to me, 13, which is at the top of the problematic range is a much better way to look at these beers because let's face it, they're problematic. Nobody is saying like, uh, damn you. I wanted to have children someday, but then I drank your beer. 
although a friend of mine had uh, threatened to say that when he was judging a competition one time. 13 is a great courtesy score. Those of you who are doing 17, I'm sorry, that's just too much in my opinion. uh, A little story here. Uh, First competition I ever organized, uh, we were judging barley wines, and John Meyer from Rogue was one of the judges. And he insisted that he had to give a beer a five, one point in every category. And I kind of like spent 10, 15 minutes trying to talk him out of it. And he eventually gave the beer a five because he felt that's what it was deserving of. In that case, you know, what are you going to do? As I said to him, your name is on the score sheet, man. (laughs) So, you know, it's up to you now. But I think I think realistically, 13 is a perfect courtesy score and 17 is too much. I am inclined to agree with you. And therefore, since I have to be Solomonic, I'm going to say 15 is the new courtesy score. Call it a day. Split the difference. No, no, no. It's 13. Let's no, let's make it 11. No, I, 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 I'm definitely a 13 kind of guy here on, on this particular topic. So there you go. But hey. That's the courtesy score. What do you guys think? Should a courtesy score exist? I mean, you know, after all, we have a zero. It goes zero to 50. Can't we say zero? <laughs> uh, so should a courtesy score exist? What do you think it should be? And have you ever seen anybody be a dick or anybody refuse a courtesy score? Or, hey, have you ever received a courtesy score? It's okay. I have ones. You know, I don't know if I ever have. Uh, nah, I had probably. I had one with a bad bottle. Yeah. If I haven't received one, I've probably deserved one and not received it. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. You probably deserve one just for drawing a breath sometimes. <laughs> it's probably true. Okay. Now for something completely different. We've talked about the cryo hops from YCH several times and uh, referred to the fact that uh, they were a powder. Well, that powder is a little bit difficult to use, so YCH has recently stopped making the cryo hops as a powder and started pelletizing that powder instead, which, man, that's what I've been using recently for my brewing experiments. They're just remarkably great. All the same wonderful, fresh, intense qualities of cryo hops, but uh, they actually like go down into your beer now instead of just floating on top like the powder did. So that's a that's a really great improvement as far as I'm concerned, and uh, we're going to be talking more about cryo hops in just a minute, right? Oh yeah, it's time. And yeah, hey, what can we say? We like our cryo hops. We certainly do. All right, to the lab. That's right. We're going to take a quick break now and head over to the lab where we're going to be talking about our next experiment coming up. So please stick around. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com.
The Bunsen burners are burning. The Jacobs letters are bzzzing. It's time for some science. That's right. We're here in the lab. We haven't been here in a little bit because, well, we've been busy. But, hey, you know, we just got our, our new sponsor of YCH, and what do we do? We say, hey, you guys got those new funny products. Can we test them? And in this particular case, you know, as we just talked about in the last segment, we've talked a lot about cryo hops in the past. Now, this is obviously YCH's new fancy product, and a lot of people have questions about it, particularly how, they, how they're used. So we very kindly asked, our, uh, asked YCH if we could have some cryo hops to share with our Igors because we wanted to do an experiment with them to try and help answer people's questions. So, Denny, what are we doing with those cryo hops? For this experiment, we decided that uh, there's really nothing that can be measured here because cryo hops, while you can use them for bittering, it's a real waste to do that. So this is going to be a sensory-only experiment, and we're going to ask people to brew a beer, split the wort, uh, either an APA or an IPA, and uh, bitter it with just some sort of neutral bittering hop to about uh, 35 IBU for the pale ale and about 50 IBUs for the IPA, and use cryo hops in one batch as whirlpool and dry hops, and use T90 pellets in the other half as whirlpool hops and dry hops. We have uh, laurel, citra, and uh, cascade hops from YCH, because they make the pellets and the cryo powder at different times, they couldn't be exactly the same lots of hops, which would have been wonderful. And uh, to tell you the truth, YCH next year is going to put aside some hops for us so that we can test again with the same lots. But the hops did come from the same fields, the same growers. They should be pretty consistent on their own. So after the beers are brewed, we're going to ask our brewers to have people evaluate them for um, the the freshness of the hop character, the intensity of the hop character. Uh, others, I'm still working on the evaluation form. But the idea is going to be which one of these forms of hops makes a beer that drinkers prefer? Because after all, isn't that like the whole reason? Absolutely. And so, you know, the real question is, you know, I mean, is there a detectable impact? Uh, you know, do people really actually see an improved character? Like, a lot of people speculate because, hey, you know, the idea less vegetation, less things to interfere with all those delicious, delicious hop oils. One, one of the things I've really liked about using the uh, cryo hops is the lack of vegetation. That means that uh, you have less chance of extracting tannins and getting astringency from them. Less chance, not an eliminated chance. You also don't have all that vegetation sucking up your beer, whether it's in the kettle or in your keg when you're dry hopping. So there, there is a lot of advantage to these beyond just what seems to be a, an increased intensity of flavor and aroma. So hops have been mailed out to our participants. We've got a whole bunch of people on the hook. They are going to use our basic APA, basic IPA recipe that's been reformulated slightly for this experiment. And, well, we hope to see uh, some fun results before too long. Yeah, we're shooting for the end of April to have results out. We'll see if that actually happens. But that's the plan. So uh, keep an eye on the website. Keep listening to the podcast. And we'll let you know how this experiment comes out. And once again, a big shout out and thank you to YCH for providing all the hops for 15 brewers for this. Hey, we love our sponsors. We do indeed.
All right, we're going to take a quick break here and get ready to head to Singapore and talk about brewing over there. So we'll be back in just a minute. YCH Hops is a grower-owned global hop company located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family hop farms with the world's finest brewers. YCH Hops is thrilled about the release of their newest product, Cryo Hops, to both commercial and home brewers, providing intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased yield. Visit YCHHops.com to find a homebrew retail store near you. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. We have Igor Eric Pierce on the phone, and that's not to say his first name is Igor. He's uh, one of the Igors who does our testing for us. How you doing today, Eric? Yes, master. <laughs> yes, Master. Yeah, yeah right. I'm doing good. So, uh, basically, the story is you were in Singapore uh, a while back, and uh, you yep. contacted us and asked if we were interested in an interview with a brewer over there named John Way, who has a brewery called Brewlander. So, why don't you fill us in a little bit on the backstory? Okay, well, um, I was in Singapore for work, and I happened to notice these banners for this thing, uh, home uh, Beer Fest Asia, and I was like, Wow, when is that going to be? And it looked like the first night of that was going to be the last night I was there. I was me leaving at three in the morning. I was like, "Oh boy, that's going to be a long all nighter." <laughs> so anyway, I was like, I looking looking in the uh, in the thing, like let's check out craft beer around here. And so I thought the best thing to do would be to go to uh, go to the local homebrew shop. Always the best idea. Uh, John Lee, who was like you know this kind of legendary homebrewer um, who like had just turned pro, was doing a workshop there about, you know, being a homebrewer, going pro. I was like, well, that'll be cool. Maybe uh, maybe I'll interview him. That'll be great. So I checked in with you guys, and you said, hey, that's a cool idea. He was just so friendly and, and open to it, you know, and he was like, yeah, sure. And, and, you know, he just loves to talk to homebrewers, talking about, you know, brewing beer at home. It's like you get this sense that there's there's this homebrew spirit, and it's not just in it, – it kind of is global, and it's very interesting seeing that spirit of homebrew sort of you know, in a in a in a in a foreign land, and where it goes, and what they're inspired by, and things like that. Wow, man! You know, and the fact that there was a homebrew shop there, it kind of just blows me away. There were two of them. There's one. This little this, this was such a cool place, the homebrew co-op, because upstairs in this awesome little restaurant. Well, well, Eric, man, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time and effort to do this for us, and I think people are going to really find this. Uh, fascinating it was really fun <laughs> cool really fun. man and so, and and you know you need that sometimes when you're all alone in a strange land and it's like uh okay what am i gonna do i'll just you know eat sleep work and you were the first uh experimental brewing foreign correspondent and we uh, we appreciate <laughs> it <laughs> well i i hope to inspire many more all right well uh <laughs> thanks man and uh let's sit sure. back now and listen to you talking to john way thanks a bunch buddy cool so uh, I guess the best place to start is at the beginning. Maybe how uh, maybe you could talk about how uh, how it all began because it says you started home brewing in what two thousand and eight. Yeah, I started home brewing in two thousand and eight. 
um, almost by chance, really, because uh, I came back from uh, a holiday trip, actually a honeymoon trip um, from the UK, and uh, I had some really, really, really good cast condition ills. So what happened is I came back to Singapore, I emailed the brewery and said, hey, you know what, can you send some beers over? I would love to drink it. You know, I would be happy to buy in quantity, you know, just for my own consumption, share it with friends and, and all those things. And, and uh, they didn't want to uh, send it over. And uh, I mean, I can understand why, right? So, so left it at, 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 as that. And, you know, I began to look out for more interesting beers in Singapore, uh, which were not too many at that in, in those days as well. So one day after a football game, not soccer, football, <laughs> um, a, a friend of mine I've not seen for a long time, he came back from, from the States and he says, oh, you know, in where he is, in LA, you know, a lot of people are actually already brewing beer at home. And, you know, he, we, we didn't explore more in, in that conversation, but it got me thinking. So I went back home, you know, I, I, I did a Google and, hey, you know what, you can homebrew beer at home. And, uh, thankfully, I found a, a supplier in Singapore, you know, a, a, a homebrew shop um, in, in Singapore. And uh, this guy called Neil, he he sold some kits and I called him up. You know, I ordered my first Cooper's kit and I made a beer. Um, it's a lager, um, you know, and, and I made a, a beer um, and went on holiday for a week, came back. Didn't taste good, but it tasted like beer. So, you know, it's, it's more like a... <laughs> It's more like a trial to, to let myself know, hey, you know what, you can actually really make beer at home. So that's, that's what I did. And for my second batch, I, I went all green all the way, bought, bought equipment and, and yeah. And that's amazing. You know, yeah. it, it took me probably uh, uh, 20 years before I went all green. Really? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think because I know myself, uh, I'm a bit obsessed uh, once it comes to all these hobbies. So I didn't want to waste time and I didn't want to waste money buying a lot of different equipments along the way. I, I know that eventually I'll, I'll do all green. So let's just go all green all the way. And uh, yeah, and the cool. second batch was good. The third, fourth batch was terrible. <laughs> uh, maybe not terrible, but not, not like the, the second batch. And, you know, and, and what happened is I, I spent the first two years of uh, my homebrew um, journey uh, a lot of hits, a lot of miss, a lot of hits, a lot of miss. You get a good batch, then you get a bad batch, you get a decent batch, then you get a terrible batch, you get a really good batch, you know, and and that was in 08, 09, and um, I remember a lot of information we get uh, were not good information re really back in those days. Um, um, there, there weren't a lot of information actually uh, I, I could find, and a lot of information were like, no, it puts you in the wrong direction. Like I remember a big thing in those days was hot side aeration, you know, and I was so convinced that, <laughs> oh, you know, like uh, my beers are not tasting good because of hot side aeration. And, you know, you spend a lot of time, spend a lot of effort, spend a lot of money changing things in, in your setup, you know, just to limit hot side aeration. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I, I realized that, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not why my beers didn't taste, taste good. Um, yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> And, and I think it got to a point where after two years, two over years, um, we start to see a lot more craft beers being imported into Singapore. So that was a point where I, I started thinking, you know what, actually, should I even be home brewing anymore? Because, you know, we have got all these beers, good beers coming in, you know, and a lot of them were brought in by friends. So it was like, should I, you know, should I even be doing this anymore? Because since I'm already drinking so much of these imported beers and supporting all these friends that are importing these beers. 
you know, and I think it got to the point where I said, okay, you know, let's let's give it a a, a final try, you know, and hope that it, it you know it work out and really just go back to the drawing board, you know, like just brew a beer, you know, fundamental beer, you know, like get all the fundamentals right, all the basics right, you know, not to not not to be too creative about it, you know, and and, and just brew the same beer over and over and over and over again until you get it right before brewing another style of beer. And, wow, that's and, interesting. I was going to ask you about that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm different. I like I just go all over the place because <laughs> I just don't have time yeah, to I, focus on one. So I just figure, oh, I'll try this one and this one. But you, you really, once you dial it in, you get something really good. Yeah, I, 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 I can really appreciate that. I, I guess so. And and I think also back back in like 09, 010, at least in this part of Asia, you know, you don't you don't have those really, really out there interesting beers that we have right now. So it's, it's, it's very much still in that you know, exploring what craft beer is. So everyone starts with, with what, a, a pale ale, an IPA. Um, you know, hopping rates back in those days is like, oh, two ounces. Oh, that's a lot of hop, huh. you know. Two <laughs> ounces per, per five gallons of dry hops. Oh, that's a lot of hops already, you know. Should I be doing that? You know? And, you know, so it, it's more exploring the, the, the classic traditional styles and getting it right uh, before, you know, doing anything else. And uh, I always joke uh, that I, I learned the most about brewing um, from the from the beers that I dump and and even mm. though it's a joke but it's 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 true you know and no it's know, really true yeah it's it's getting you know getting it milk you know like that, that style of beer or that recipe until I'm happy with it uh before brewing something else you know um, yeah that's that's that's, well, how, that's how, great. I start, how I started in home brewing um, have you ever have you ever seen the experimental uh brewing book by uh Danny and Drew uh, no, not not yet. One, uh, of, one of the things they talk about is like different types of brewers, mm-hmm. and one is is the one that sticks to a style and just goes goes to town. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. But yeah. it's it it doesn't you don't necessarily you know pigeonhole mm-hmm. you know people, but people I, fall into this category and then the other category like exploring flavors and things like that. It's yeah, pretty cool. True, like wait, it's like a questionnaire figures out what kind of brewer you are. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's funny. I, I, I think you know, for, for me personally, I probably think that, you know, it's first brew um, a great base beer. The base beer have to be good, you know, then after that, you can add whatever adjuncts, whatever food, how, however you want to play around with the beer. I think that's, that's great. But I, I think that the base beer itself has to be really, really solid. So it's a beer first, right? So I, I think that that's, that's the way I like to think, think about it. Yeah. What was it, the first one that you just brewed over and over? Uh... In homebrew, um, so yeah. I w- definitely I, I have a kegerator at home. So I would always have a, an IPA. Uh, I would have something sessionable, um, you know, maybe a pale ale, something like that. And quite regularly, I would have a dark beer, like a porter or a stout, because I'm a big fan of that that style as mm. well. Well, that um, that's interesting because you know I I, uh, I I can imagine it's so hot in Singapore. Yeah, I can just imagine the light beer, lighter beers are just, you know, popular uh, because of that. You know, yeah, with, with the heat. The I, I guess it's funny because um, I, I love porters and stouts because it has that rich, nice chocolatey, roasty or coffee uh, taste to mm. it, and and a big um, uh, part of our culture here is you know like having afternoon drinks, not alcoholic drinks. You know, we we'll go we we'll go to the the coffee shop, you know, um, the local mm. coffee shop, we'll order like, you know, the local iced coffee or the local iced tea 
you know, iced milk tea, iced milk coffee, or iced black coffee, that kind of thing. And and to us, it's like a, a refreshing drink, you know, something on a hot day you would drink. So somehow, you know, I, I find that for me at least, you know, like porters and stouts, I, I would drink it on a hot day afternoon because it, re- it reminds me of drinking like an iced coffee. Um, mm. Yeah, here. So for I me, it's psychological. It. It's psychological because somehow I got that in my head that mm-hmm. oh, that's for winter time. Yeah, I think so. But really, uh, it's not. <laughs> if, if I'm gonna it's... wait for winter, I'll never drink porters and stouts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then, I mean, coming back to your question, like at home, I will always have like you know some beers that's meant for aging or conditioning or you know big beers, you know maybe a. Uh, you know, Imperial Stout or Belgian Port mm. or a, a sour beer that's keep on going. Uh, we we had a so I, I used to work with an Italian company, um, and through them uh, I managed to ship a a barrel a, a used Chianti barrel to to Singapore. And so you you, you worked for what kind of company? An Italian company from Italy. Oh, awesome! So we we had a container coming, and I I through some you know friends I said, hey, can you can you put a a barrel uh, uh, X uh, Chianti barrel, a red wine nice. barrel. There. And nice. We, we got it, you know, and I got probably about 15, 20 other home brewers. We all brew a five gallon batch and we awesome. added it into it. And we, we ran a Solera for two years. I, I think so, yeah. So we cool. pitched a lot of funny stuff in there. Um, <laughs> so so that was one of the, the, the things that was nice. We draw a keg out from time to time and we top it up. Um, and interestingly, um, when the, the the barrel first came, I you know I, I took a decision to say, hey, we we're not gonna pitch anything funky in there. Let's just see what the barrel gives us. And after a week, a layer of pellicle form in the in, <laughs> in there, you know, it's like it comes out of the wood, yeah. man. I did that. I I thought I I I, I boiled wood chips. <laughs> I still got the yeah, funk <laughs> exactly. And that one, you know, is like. <laughs> It's really interesting because it's something you know. It's it's found its origin from from Europe, from Italy. So it was it was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And then after that, since there's bread in there, then that's we added video, we added some lacto, and we added some uh, bottle drags from um, from a few different uh, beers, and it, it just kept going, kept developing, and it was nice. Uh, we draw some samples out to small little jerry cans. You know, I added some peach some apricots in there, you know, and, and like, you know, just take, take out mm. batches from there and doing separate sour, some small little sour batches from there as, as well, which, which was fun. Wow. And it, that it, sounds it, legendary. Yeah. And it was fun because it's, it's a collaboration uh, with fellow yeah. homebrewers. Uh, yeah. And really, really nice. Yeah. And so, uh, did, so what kind of, what kind of system did you start uh, all grain brewing on? Because I talked to, you know, I talked to Daryl mm-hmm. at homebrew co-op. And he was saying that, you know, in Singapore, you don't have a lot of room. Yep. And uh, that, you know, he sells, he sells grandfathers. He said that's popular. That's popular now. Um, when I, again, like, because when, when we first started, um, the local homebrew shops here uh, were basically operating out of their house or, like, you know, on a part-time basis. Um, and they have uh, ingredients, but they don't really have a lot of solid uh, homebrew equipments. So I went down that route of uh, uh, no choice. You, you, you got to really do DIY. So I went to uh, a kitchen supplier, you know, buy like stock pots, drill a hole. You know, there you, you go. go. To, then you go to your, you know, your your, plumb, your plumbing uh, shops, you know, and get some plumbing fittings and just use copper plumbing 
you know, fittings and valves and ball valves and, and that's how, how I started. And for, yeah, and for, that's desperation. <laughs> and for, for um, the mesh time, I use a, a cooler box. Oh, good. A, a, yeah. yeah, a Coleman cooler box. And it works fine. I still have it today. After That's like, great. Uh, how many years is that? Like nine wow. years, I still have it. I, the original one. And, and yeah, so it's basically a three-tier um, system. Um, you know, a hot liquor, a hot liquor tank, uh, hmm. you know, and then a, a cooler box, and then a kettle. Um, so does it drive your wife, did it drive your wife crazy? Uh, almost. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm thankful that, uh, uh, you know, she's been really, really supportive of, 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 of this hobby. Um, despite adding more fridges at home, you know, more spaces, <laughs> um, you know, with, with bottles, with kegs, kegerator, fridges, fermenting fridge, conditioning fridge. You know things like that, yeah. Oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, she's she's been really really supportive. Yeah, and and I remember when 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 I first started. I mean, you you've seen me, right? I'm a I'm a really tiny, small little, small little guy. And I remember we 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 didn't have pumps in those days, so it's like you sparge the hell out of it. You fill thirty liters of hot wood, you know, and you gotta carry it <laughs> up the stove. Oh no! Damn, you know, like <laughs> thankfully no. Bad accidents yet with hot wood. Yeah, I've got two sons to prove that. So <laughs> that's great. No expect. All right. So I wanted to ask you if you had any spectacular brewing failures during your homebrew time. Uh, I can't really remember. Uh, I would love to share. I can't really remember, but I would think like <laughs> silly things like, you know, like after brewing everything and you realize like I don't have. I thought I had that pack of yeast around, but I don't have that yeast. <laughs> And it's like, you know, in the evening and you, you, you don't have these to pitch on a weekend, you know, you got to wait till a few days later, uh, things like that. Or silly things like, yeah. you know, like on the brew day, you think, ah, oh, you know, like you think to yourself, ah, this, this is, this brew day is really going on really well. You know, I've not screwed up so far, you know, and, and after you're done, you realize it's an oatmeal style, but you forgot to add the oatmeal in there <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, like things like that. Um, I think that was... There's, there's one that I remember, which is um, I, I brewed a beer that I, um, I was trying to get right, and that beer tasted really, really nice. Um, but back then, I was just starting out, so I didn't know mm. things like, oh, you got to crash chill, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and the beer, like, still looked, you know, like, hazy and cloudy, and it didn't clear. So I thought, oh, you know what, let's just dump it and start over again. So, yeah, so you were, you were homebrewing. And having a great time, winning awards, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so what? Uh, how how did your journey from uh, amateur to professional begin? Um, you know what? As a home brewer, you know, it's like uh, I think probably a lot of home brewers or most home brewers would have certain like aspirations, or you would have that at least have that thought before, like, oh, how nice if you know if I can see my beers on a on a shelf, or if I can have you know, people serve ideas in, in, in commercial spaces. And I think every homebrew would, would have at least go through that, that, that thought once. And um, myself, no different, you know, you, you always think like, oh, you know, how nice if, you know, if, if I could do it. But then, you know, in coming from Singapore, everything's so expensive, you know, rent expensive, tax is expensive, hiring people is expensive. And, you know, the beer business probably isn't the best business <laughs> to be in. 
So, you know, I, you know, like since 2013, you know, I've, I've ran the numbers. Um, I, I'm, I'm finance back. My, my background's in finance. So, you know, I'm very sensitive to all those things. So I, I ran the numbers. It doesn't work, you know, and, and I told myself never get into it. Don't do it. You know, you know, you've got a family, you've got kids, you know, you don't have time or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and yeah, and, and I, I was really, really basically in a sense, like, you know, I gave, gave out on that, you know, like that thought, like, oh, I probably would not want to do it because uh, it's just not worth uh, the effort and time in, in a sense of, of uh, risk, um, you know, and, 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 and until last year, I, I decided to make a career change. Um, so, you know, it's, it's when this thought came back again, you know, and it's, it's really um, a question of, um, do I look for another job or do I give this a go? You know, and if, if I don't do this now, I probably would not want to do it anymore. Um, you don't want to be in your forties, you know, or late thirties or forties, and you don't really have the energy to do this. And, you know, so I, I spoke to my wife and she said, you know, give it a go, you know, um, you know, don't have that regret, you know, give it a go. At least you, at least you try and you know whether it, it worked or failed. So just took the decision and, and not look back, yeah. And that's that's how we we, we started. Um, and, and that's funny. That's funny because I made the opposite decision mm -hmm. in the '90s, thinking, "Oh, it's this craft beer. The market's saturated. It'll never. It's never never going to go beyond this. There's no no. Uh, there's no market here for. Uh, I, I won't be able to make I mean, money. You could have been a. You could and have been then, a billionaire. Like man, if I could have seen the future, you could have been a billionaire right now. <laughs> I don't know about that, but. Uh, uh yeah <laughs> a lot of a lot of breweries open and yeah. close <laughs> i mean like but um you know like uh danny danny's said it on many occasions you know like the last thing he wants to do is take his favorite hobby and turn it into a, a career or a business you know and i i think that's this yeah, yeah in the same way something that resounded a lot as well because um again coming back to homebrew you know i'm, I'm I, I love homebrew a lot you know and and even like you know for me homebrew was like an escape you know you work Mondays to Fridays, you know, you slog it out, you know, you, and, and Saturday, when Saturday or Sunday comes, you know, you're just looking forward to, to homebrewing, you know, and, and, and it's like that six, seven hours where for me, it's like a therapy, you know, it's really therapeutic. I go through the motion, you know, I, I de-stress myself. I look forward to it, you know, when, when you know you're going to brew that weekend, every day you're thinking about it, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, you know, you're thinking, oh, you know what, I'm going to brew this week. What am I going to change this week? You know, what hops do I have? You know, how should I tweak my recipe? You know, just looking forward to, to that, you know, and occasionally you call some friends up, hey, you know, I'm brewing this week, I want to come hang out, you know, and it's, it's, it's something that's really fun, you know, and, and making a business and, you know, when, when you're really like stressed about uh, numbers or, you know, overheads and that kind of thing, you know, you, you don't really know whether you want to make that decision, you know, so yeah, so that's, that's something mm. that really had to think think through a lot uh, before making that jump. Well, I'm glad you did, and I bet a lot of other people are too because your beer is fantastic. Uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. say that. Yeah. It's awesome. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. it. It's a great find. I, um, so, okay, so then you, you took the leap, and how, how did you come up with the name and the philosophy? I mean, it, it's uh, for yeah. people that don't know, Brewlander, uh, they, all your beers yeah. are named after so emotions. So how'd you come up with that? It just nah, hit you, I, or I, I, was, I would love uh, to have a really, really cool, interesting story for you, but I don't. 
so basically, first, firstly, you know, like Blue Lander came about um, as as the name of my blog, actually my homebrewing blog. Um, what happened was that you know my laptop crashed and all my information on Beer Smith was gone, and I was thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, like you know. So I decided, oh, you know, probably just put it online, have have like a brewing log online, and if if anybody wants to come and you know, uh, take a look at my blog of, of how I do it, you know, and uh, then they can, you know, for, for you know, so, so. Can we yeah, still do can, it? You Is can, it still but there? Yeah, it's not been very well maintained for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, and. <laughs> Could be some choice I mean, nuggets uh, yeah, in there, you can, I'll have you to can check go it out. On, look for the, 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 the blog that's still there. So, and why Brew Lander? Because, uh, you know, like, like I, I explained, this hobby is all about fun, about, you know, having fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, I don't take myself too seriously, you know, and 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 uh, you know, it's not not to be too tense, too serious about it, um, and and that that's why I like, uh, in, in a sense, it's inspired by Zoolander, right? So it's like not being, you know, like not being afraid to to laugh at yourself, your insecurities, you know, and, and make fun of yourself, <laughs> kind of like taking the piss at, you know, and, and, you know, by calling it Zoolander. So that's and and I love to have a good wicked sense of humor, you know, and I I enjoy that kind of thing, you know, and. You know, I, I didn't really think that oh, it would be the name of my brewery when 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 we have a brewery one day. It's, it's just the name of the blog because I I don't want to put my name out there. You know, so it's like you know, it's my secret hobby on the side kind of thing. You know, that's why we call it Brewlander. <laughs> and you know, like since two thousand thirteen, you know, like people have been saying, hey, you know, when you're gonna brew your own beer, your beer is you know, it's it's good. You know, your beer is uh, people would drink your beer. I would pay money for your beer. You know, but. You always think, are they being nice, or you know, or or can I really do it? The kind of thing, you know, and and you know, and and people begin to say, hey, when when you're gonna start brew lander? When you're gonna start brew lander? So, I guess when we first started, it, it was like natural, you know, that we we uh, I I retain the name brew lander. Because uh, another interesting thing is that when I go for homebrew meetups or beer gatherings or what, people don't know me as John or John Way. So we have conversation, and and I'm happy that way, right? You can just hang out without people knowing who you are. Yeah. Incognito, you know. And then <laughs> like halfway down to the conversation, after like half an hour, forty minutes, they'll say, "Oh, so you're Brewlander," you know, that, that kind of thing. And like that, that kind of thing. So I, I guess it was, uh, like I said, natural for us to continue to use the, that name Brewlander. Um, and I think our tagline, one of our taglines is, uh, you know, if if it ain't fun, why are you doing it? So I think it's a lot of it is it comes back to you know, um, what we want to represent um, as, a, as a brewery, as a business, you know, that's, that's, that's our take, you know, it's about having fun. It's, well, I mean, that comes through with all the names of your beers. Like you've got hope, yep. respect, joy, courage, uh, peace yeah. and love. Uh, have you ever thought about, those are all positive yep, emotions. Right. Have you ever thought about doing any negative emotions like, you know, rage or greed? I, you, you, you know what? <laughs> so I don't, I don't have a really nice, uh, you know, wow story about that. Uh, to be honest, how we came out uh, with that was kind of like desperate in, in, in a sense, you know, like uh, we were brainstorming how to name our beers, you know. I, I know how to, you know, I was from finance, so I, I'm pretty good with running, you know, numbers and businesses. I'm good with brewing beer, you know, or, or at least that's my strength, you know. But when you talk about selling and marketing, oh man, you know, that's, that's not something I, I know, you know. So I sat down with one of uh, mm. with, with my partner, and we, we were like brainstorming how to name it. And I was like rubbish at it, you know. And he, you know, like he was giving a lot of suggestions, which, which was great. 
but it was already done by a lot of other people, you know. So, and one thing that I was very, very um, uh, uh, determined at the start was I told him, you know, I, I don't want to sensationalize it. I don't want to, you know, put women uh, in, a, in a very uh, uh, disrespectful way, you know. Yeah, I, there's, there's a Singapore brewery that is was bought by a major yeah. that I won't name that uh, is pulling that yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always <laughs> easy, you know, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll sales, you know, but I, I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful to women. Uh, neither do we want to like just promote or oh, you know, just sex it up, you know, in 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 that in that sense, you know, I, I think that's too convenient, and I I mean it's it just probably goes against what we are trying to build there. Um, so that that leaves that's us cool. with not many choices, right? So. So we actually brainstormed on a on a day where we felt very um, low in, in a sense. Uh, it was on a day where somebody got elected into office, <laughs> and we were like, uh, yeah. and we were like dumbstruck. We were like, shit, what just happened? Like, you know. So we so we we began talking, and and uh, long story short was like, you know, one of us just said, hey, why don't we? Be more positive about the situation right now, and you know, like I think a lot of negative news was you know, in in uh, in uh, a lot of neg neg negativity was in the news at that that period of time. So we thought, you know, like hey, why not try to you know advocate positivity, you know, positive positive emotions in in that sense. Yeah, we could use a lot of that so, in the and, states and, right and, now. And, <laughs> and another thing is like you know, it would be cool to walk into a bar and say you know, can I have can I have some respect or can I have some love, you know, <laughs> I need some hope. Yeah, it's great, yeah. man. It's so awesome. I think that's, that's how we I ended love up it. with that. Um, again, when we first started, is uh, we, we really started on a really bootstrap and, you know, we didn't know what we are doing. We didn't know, you know, like on the marketing front, we didn't really have a, a solid idea where we're going. We just knew that we have decent beers, good beers that we, we, we are happy to share with people and, on all the other side, we are like really just making mistakes and learning as we stumble along. No, no major mistakes, you know, but learning as we stumble along, you know, like things like when we first started, that we didn't think that we needed barcodes, and now it's like everyone's saying, "Hey, why can we have barcodes on on your place?" You know, and we didn't think that we we would get into certain outlets like that. And thankfully, you know, we uh, they approached us, and now we have to do things like that. You know, like things we didn't really consider before, and. You know, and wow, and, sounds yeah. like a brewery growing up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are we are managing the best we can. <laughs> yeah. That's great, yeah. man. So, yeah, so so I mean, I, I gotta ask. So I mean, so did you start out brewing in Singapore, or did you go direct to uh, to um, to to just so contracting I, out? I, I I think before I actually joined in a few like you know even as a home brewer, you know you 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 hang out at some commercial breweries. Um, you participate uh, on brew yeah. days, you know, but not nothing too serious, you know, um, because probably insurance laws and all those things they don't want you to get hurt. And, mm. and I mean, there are some laws in in Singapore, yeah. you know, who who can do the brewing and that kind of thing. But you look at how a brewery is run. To be honest, is it's not that big a difference as home brewing. I I mean the 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 methodologies about the same. It's just the toys are different. The equipments are a lot bigger, um, you yeah. know, and and and, <laughs> and so it was. It's uh, so that's what I did before. So finally, when we decided to do it, um, you know, I I was looking at places. We knew that it was tough for us to start a brewery immediately in Singapore. Um, number one is the cost is high, and number two is it, it took time. You know, 
if if we went through that route, uh, probably our breweries will not. It, it, until today, the brewery will not be ready yet. It just takes at least a year, you know. Uh, you know, mm. finding a right spot, getting your licenses, getting equipment, blah blah blah. You know, it would take more than a year, and I, I think that we didn't want to wait that long. Um, but you know, we 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 just wanted to. We're excited about it, right? Um, you know, and and I quit my job for this. I don't want to be sitting around for one year to look at a place, you know, look for places to build and that kind of thing. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, why, why don't we start Gypsy Brew first and, you know, while we work towards uh, getting our own brewery up and running. Um, so I looked, for, I looked at a few places in, in Australia, in New Zealand, in, in the UK. You, nope. did, you didn't look in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, I guess there's a good UK, reason for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Belgium as well. And we actually decided on on it already, um, but there were some hiccups in the middle. So I began to talk to another friend of mine who who runs the brewery that we are brewing out of right now. Um, and you know we we talk about it, and yeah, we we managed to uh, find find a way to make it work. And what's really good. So that you're you're brewing in uh, in yep, uh, Cambodia, in Phnom Penh. Yeah. Phnom Penh? So we we found a way to make it work, and wow. what was really great. Uh, about using the space here is that they allowed me to come in to do everything ourselves. So basically, it's just you know renting, uh, uh, cool. renting the tanks, uh, not not conventional kind of uh, contract brewing per se. Like you, you hand them a recipe, they do it for you. Uh, but for me, pro- probably I'm a little bit more anal. <laughs> so you know, we we, we ship in <laughs> our own mods. Uh, we get our mods from Crisp, uh, mainly from Crisp in. In the UK, we buy our mod, uh, we buy our hops directly from from uh, from the states and from from uh, from New Zealand, um, and we get our yeast yeah. mainly from um, from White Labs from the US. Um, every time we brew, you know, we we air cool. freight all this, uh, we air freight the um, the yeast in fresh pitch every time. Uh, you know, so it's 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 we're really particular about all this. Uh, at least I am really particular about all these things and. I come in here to brew, um, and they, they allow me to take over the whole brew house during the, the duration. And it was also fun for them because uh, predominantly they were just a lager brewery all the while, brewing commercial lagers. So when uh, when I first came in, you know, we were doing a lot of like you know hop bursting, you know, like things like uh, whirlpool hopping, uh, you know, dry hopping. These these are things that they 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 didn't understand or they they have they have not done. Ever so, it was a learning journey for them as well as as for us at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Kind of go so through it sense, together. Like, that's I, fun. I was really just looking for a place that has space, um, that I can you know walk in there and and do things on, on my own terms. You know, express ourselves. You know, express ourselves in our beers and do it on our own terms. Uh, it's a much better commute than going to uh, yeah, I mean, to, those places, to the they, UK yeah, those or even Australia. Because uh, again, like I said, you know, like insurance and those sort mm. of things, you know, yeah, basically, I mean, you can go oh, observe yeah. the brew day, but you, you know, you, you can't participate. Whereas here, you know, they allow me to climb on things, do things myself, you know, um, um, the, 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 the first, our very first brew, within the first 20 minutes, the brewmaster here says, ah, okay, it seems like you know your shit, so just don't get yourself killed. And, and, and <laughs> I'm, I'm really Great. thankful for him, you know, he, 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 you know, he entrusts me. You know, with, with the brew house, he lets me do things that I want to do. You know, uh, obviously, you know, it's, I I know my limits. You know, you go 
basically, you know, you go to somebody's house, you know, your manners around, you know, uh, when, when you're at somebody uh, else's house. So, you know, but really great. He, he lets me do things. They yeah. let me do things I want to do. That's awesome. As long as I don't endanger myself or or any anyone else, you know. And you haven't, gonna, uh, nothing like that's happened yet. That's good. <laughs> yeah, never going to do great, it. Great, great. Uh, I know in cooking, some things just don't scale up linearly. Like in professional, you go from five-gallon yep. batches, you got a cool recipe. Does it just go one-to-one? Or I bet it's, I just got a feeling it can't be, can't, it can't be uh, just one-to-one, yeah. you know, or, you know, scaling. Uh, this is something that I, uh, I was also apprehensive to make the decision, like, you know, for the last couple of years, because I felt that when I made that jump, I wanted to make sure that, you know, from the first brew, you know, we, we should be of a certain standard or level, you know, I don't want to be just brewing beers and say, Hey, you know what? Support me because I'm a, you know, I'm a local home brewer that's, that went pro and, and please support me while we get our beers right. So I think it took me a couple of years to hone that skill to, to, to know that, okay, you know, if I'm going to brew tomorrow, I'm confident that, you know, we won't screw up that badly. Um, and, and I think that we, we got, uh, I don't want to say lucky. I think we are blessed in that sense that, uh, from our first batch of beer, you know, um, you know, I, I talked to other brewers, you know, I, I, I asked for some advisors. They, they shared some interesting stuff with us that, you know, it helped help us along the way. Um, in terms of scaling recipe, um, I, I think is that, I mean, most of us use uh, beer smiths where everything's preset. Yeah, I yeah, guess so, it's probably you know, built into beer smith. Pretty much already set, but, you know, like for us right now, um, you know, like we, we look at the specs, the, the specification of the mods we buy, you know, the yield and all these things. And we, we, we input it into another spreadsheet where it tells us, the, it tweaks the percentages. Like, uh, I guess in Beersmith or, or in most homebrew recipes, you, you go on a percentage or how we are accustomed is percentage based on weight, yeah. right? So I'll use how many percent based on weight of this and that. Right. Whereas for, for us right now, we go percentage based on yield. So you've got to tweak you know, um, the, 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 the quantity of, of the mods you use based on the extract, the yield. Um, then again, coming to the brew house, um, um, I, I didn't do a, uh, you know, I, I did a trial batch with them. So, uh, you know, a beer that we, we didn't even ferment the beer. I think we just uh, did, did a trial batch just to know the numbers of the brew house, the kind of efficiency, how we're going to sparge it, you know, and, and that sort of thing. What a, what were the losses, you know, mm. um, what were the evaporation rates, you know, the, the shrinkage, you know, the, the kind of um, uh, how compact the whirlpool was and how much beer we can get out of there, you know, that sort of thing, you know. Like at least I know the numbers around the, the, the brew house before that. So when we came in our first batch, uh, yeah, we, we, we did pretty okay after we, we, we scaled it up. Um, the major difference or the, the major um yeah, difference, you know, or difficulty, I would say, would be bitterness, you know, the, the, the rate of isomer, uh, isomerizing the, the, the alpha acids. Um, yeah, I mean, because if, if oh, it's just yeah. down to efficiency, you know, you know that your next batch, you are just throwing another, uh, another sack of grains and you, you could solve it. But when you have a beer that's so bitter or, or, or because I like to brew on the fly, meaning I, I, I do readings all around the, at, at almost every stage of, of the brew so like when we when we do our runoffs before before we do a, a pre-boy uh, we, before we boil i'll do a pre-boy reading so i know okay whether we are over or wh- whether we are under what we are shooting for you know so i will make hmm. adjustments there if we, especially during the start you know if we are over you know let's just 
put more water in there, dilute it, you know, and end up with more beer. If we yeah, are under, yeah. you know, let's just boil a little bit longer. Okay, you know, we hurt a little bit. At this time, we end up with lesser beer, but, you know, we, we want, you know, the gravity to come in where we want it to be, you know. So I, I make changes like that on the fly, so we don't really pay for it, or it doesn't really, uh, it's not like you, after fermenting the beer, then you realize the mistake. So you can make changes along the way. Uh, but utilization on this scale is wow! It's it's really 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 big. Uh, and the big, the biggest uh, lesson wow. was whirlpool hopping. You know, it's like uh, you know I've I've heard, you know, like really experienced, great brewers say you know like uh, they get efficiency uh, uh, utilization in a whirlpool. You know, uh, you know upwards of fifty fifteen percent. You know, so that's that was the number I used. You know, like fifteen percent utilization. Okay, and uh, wow. when I when I showed the numbers to to the brew house here, you know, they were saying. Uh, they were saying, ah, no way, you know, no way you, you're going to get that kind of utilization, you know, and they were saying, like, you'll be lucky if you get 3%, you know, um, and, you know, true enough, uh, when we did the first brew, the trial brew, um, we, we did, I mean, we, we add a lot of hops in Whirlpool, you know, so it came out 20 to 21% utilization just from the Whirlpool, just from the Whirlpool. Wow. Do you think it has to do with just the New World hops, or just I, these guys uh, didn't know what they were talking probably about? Probably <laughs> they didn't, because they don't they don't hop a lot in their beers, right? So it's and and I mean if if you go by ah. the you know the textbooks of what conventional brewing is, you know it's like they have that chart, you know, utilization, you know, and once it stops boiling, basically you don't really isomerize or you know you don't really get that kind of utilization. Um, and and it's funny because we we did I think only a twenty or thirty minutes hop stand from the whirlpool and we got a higher utilization than if we boil the hops for the same amount of time or at least what the textbooks or the formulas will tell you you know if you do a 15 minutes boil addition probably you get i don't know what seven to ten percent i can't remember it's off my head you know but mm. for the same amount of time we did in a whirlpool we get even higher utilization than adding it to the boil. it was it was it was quite um, wow yeah, it's that's quite funny. Surprising. You know? Obviously, the system here is different. Um, we are brewing on a uh, a thirty barrel, uh, so that's a lot of yeah. We, that's a lot of work, oh, yeah. you know, and uh, and it takes so long <laughs> for, for for it to cool down. So you feel so much bitterness. Uh, you, you're gonna extract so much bitterness. You know, it's so much isomerization going on, and and mm. we have a lab here, so you know the, we have a spectrophotometer, and we tested it, and it was. 20% utilization just in a whirlpool. So we, we got to dial it down. We got to change things up, you know, pretty much. And, and you know, <laughs> just to make sure our beers yeah. don't come in too bitter. Um, yeah. Um, and mm. At least not for that style. Yeah. So, so John did, so you're totally self-taught. Like you, uh, you didn't no, go to school I or anything like didn't that. didn't have like, the luxury or opportunity to go because when I start homebrewing, I was already working, you know, and you don't have, uh, you know the, the the luxury to say oh let me just take three months to go to Cebu you know and, and that kind of thing and and besides you know like it was a hobby right homebrewing was is really just a hobby and and I didn't really ha had that kind of aspiration yeah. to say oh like from from the start like I'm gonna have my brewery in ten years that kind of thing you know so it was more of a hobby and like I said making mistakes you know and hanging out in in some forums and sharing ideas with people you know and 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 yeah that's that's how. How how I started brewing, uh, or brewing per se. Uh, are you a beer judge too? Oh, are yeah. you a BJCP I'm a judge BJCP too? Judge uh, in yeah, Asia. I thought so. Um, yeah, so it, it was That's really great. funny as well uh, how I got started uh, because you know I I entered some homebrew competitions and you know like some of the feedbacks we get from non-certified judges were like 
and you know so i i thought hey you know what why don't i do do the bjcp you know syllabus <laughs> maybe i'll learn a thing or two more about all flavors about brewing and you know and and that kind of thing mm. i enter you know like you spend money to 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 enter a beer you know and you you really want valuable feedback to improve right and most of times you you get something back that you yeah. don't have really good feedback so you really push me to to do the bjcp syllabus um uh that was in i think two three years ago and yeah and it's great and uh right now we we have a growing presence of bjcp judges in asia you know we we work closely together with with uh with, with bjcp to to get more people in asia to 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 come you know get themselves certified you know you know get themselves in, into the program and you know do more home rule competitions do more uh bjcp study uh sanctioning events you know i think that's that's great there's a couple questions that uh i know drew okay. almost always asks uh um and and one of them i think you already answered <laughs> and that is like in uh without okay. using the word balance uh describe your your uh, brewing philosophy i think you kind of already did <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to say anything about it that's so good i, 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 I think mean, that my brewing philosophy very much uh is a reflection of myself as a drinker um you know i i like to brew beers that i enjoy to drink uh not necessarily the styles but uh, the presentation or the profile of the beer uh you know i'm 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 really a very very much a session beer guy um and uh not in a bad way you know uh you know so a lot of my beers uh in fact i believe i would i would like to believe all my beers are very sessionable uh, whether it's a 4.5 percent beer or it's a 8.2 percent beer it's got that sensibility or that sessionability to it that uh, mm. you can keep drinking it you know even at 8.2 beer percent beer you do, the alcohol yeah the double ipa is 8.2 yeah. so if it feels sessionable it's dangerous yeah, that's right yeah <laughs> but you know it's, it's like imagine if, if, if my wife tells me okay uh, you know you, you can go out to hang out with your friends tonight and have a few beers you don't want to have just one beer and say oh you know i that's it i'm going home <laughs> you know you know so i i i i would like to have you know more than one beers and even for myself, when I go out drinking, you know, I don't have the urge to always say, oh, there's 20, 20 beers on tap. I'm going to drink all 20 of it. I'm very much more <laughs> the guy that, oh, you know, I, I, I would look for a beer that I like. And, I, you know, I could just have four or five of them before thinking, okay, I'll try something else. And, and that to me is a really <laughs> great beer. If I can have more than one of that, that means it's so drinkable. It's so enjoyable. You know, I don't feel like uh, I need something else to, 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 interest, to interest me, right? So that to me is it's a great um format of, of 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 a good beer so i guess my brewing philosophy is 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 very much that you know like you know the drinkability of the beer you know and you know and the you know enjoyability of the beer um i think the drinking experience is very important so i i always think of first of um of what the beer would end up the the any the angle in mind then i look at recipes and then i look at ingredients um i don't I don't really go with oh I got this hop so I got that more let's let, let me make a beer out of that kind of thing. Whereas I, I think of okay let's say I'm gonna brew uh, this beer what how let's say I want to brew a porter you know how I want a porter to be you know and I want some kind of residual sugars a nice chewy body or, or a silky velvety body that kind of thing you know so mm. I I think first of how I want the beer to be as an end product and then I look through how I design a beer in terms of the more you know the more beer um the, the fermentation profile the mesh profile uh 
yeah, and and I, I that, yeah, that sounds like a great way to go. Yeah, that, it's clearly working for you. That's that's <laughs> how I I, I, I do. Um, and especially you know like especially coming, um, uh, taking this leap to pro brewing, you know you, um, you really appreciate a lot more about the importance of good fermentation. Um, um, you know like before homebrew, probably we don't really pay up that much attention to pitching rates, oxygenation, and you know sometimes beers take uh. a little bit longer to condition or to, to taste better or you know to ferment out. Before you know it always you, there's so there's again I hate to say the word balance you know but there's there's there's, there's that fine line between you know <laughs> rushing a beer and when a beer is ready just package it at, at, at its peak right. So I think on on this scale you know fermentation uh. or, or everything happens a lot quicker. Uh, and I, I'm I'm now a big bigger subscriber of if your prim primary fermentation is great, you have a good healthy solid active uh, fermentation at the start. Primary fermentation at the start, you don't really have a lot of off flavors you want to clean up, so you don't really need a long time for the beer to ah. sit in conditioning tanks. Yep, healthy lots of yeast, healthy yeast, right amount of oxygen. You, you know, uh, healthy fermentation. You know that you know you, certain yeast like pressure, certain yeast doesn't like. You know, to ferment under pressure is, is about knowing your yeast, you know, um, mm. it's like knowing your kids, you know, different kind kind of yeast likes to be treated differently. You know, it's, <laughs> you, you can't treat your kids, you know, all the same kids with, with the same, the same method. You know, you, you, you got to understand their character, you know, their, you know, their temperament, basically, in that sense. So I, I guess that's, that's, that's how I like to brew. Um, you know, it's a, a strong, steady fermentation at the start, you know, it, you, you end up with very clean, good tasting beer, you know, um, that you don't have to, you know, hope that, you know, you, you've got this off flavor, you want to, you hope that it gets better over time, you know, uh, and, and another thing about me mm. is that, uh, even from home brewing perspective is that I'm, I'm very, very particular, uh, about the mesh, um, you know, getting the mesh temps right and, and all that kind of thing, because I find that's one of the toughest thing to correct. A lot of things you can correct as you go along, but if you screw up the mesh temps and all, um, yeah, you know, you if you are brewing a a, a a a stout, you want a nice body to it, probably, you know, and it, things like that. Once you screw it up, you know, just doesn't taste the same. You know, some beers you want it more, uh, uh lighter, yeah. crisper, you know, and and if it comes in too heavy, it's it's not gonna work for for that beer. I I, I would say, you know, so mesh is something that I I really look, um, uh, very closely into. Um, mm. I. Don't think you necessarily need to stand there and look at the kettle boy. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you get my gist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's there's some talk about you know whether you have a, a really vigorous mm -hmm. boil or a really low boil mm -hmm. and what that does. But uh, I wanted to talk about one of your kids, uh, <laughs> not your actual kids, but oh, the okay. uh, Sac Trois uh, <laughs> that's in uh, that's you right. use in a wild yeah. IPA called love which uh, I I noticed I brought to my uh, my homebrew club and they just totally fell over okay. backwards they loved love <laughs> and uh, uh, I noticed that we noticed that it was there was uh, yep. uh, sediment on the bottom and so we're assuming yeah, your bottle right. conditioning um, for all of our beers we don't filter we don't um, pasteurize as, as well um, but for certain beers like the summer ale you know we, we want it to be uh, drop right so we use some findings in there for the love um uh, that you're talking about you know it's it's such it's such a yeast driven beer you know most of its character comes from 
Mm. I would say most, or if not, okay, maybe not all, but most of, really most of its character comes from the yeast, comes from the fermentation um, that, that we put the yeast through. Um, you know, it, it gives it that big passion fruit, mango, guava, pineapple character. Uh, and then we dry hop it with uh, mm. hops to complement and add some layers, but we don't over hop it um, where it takes away from the yeast-driven character. I think it's, it's something we really want to show off. Um, and yeah, so when we we, uh, we, we package it, you know, we, we ensure that a good amount of that yeast still gets through to the bottle. Um, yeah, so it's it's called you call it a wild yeah. IPA, and it it so it's like you've got the wild part and you get the IPA part, but nothing really takes each other over. They complement yeah, each other so nicely. I, I I actually did a small video on that, you know, because especially back home here in Singapore, uh, people are probably mm. still not used to drinking beers that are hazy or, or cloudy, you know, um, or some mm -hmm. of them might see, oh, you know, sediments in a beer is, is it bad, you know? So we did. Well, hey, I had a lot of cloud water at the, <laughs> at, at the burger yeah. joint uh, a They're week great, ago. Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, Probably not the price you pay for it, but. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, very expensive. Yeah, drinking uh, in Singapore. I'm, yeah. I'm going to manage to expense account yeah. it. Oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> I hope my boss isn't listening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, I, I, uh, uh, so, yeah, so when we were drinking at my homebrew club, we drank. Uh, somewhere I was pouring it off, and then we noticed a sediment in the bottle, and we swished it around. and And the guy, the, the guy that took the last sip, was like, "Hey, man, this is like a different yep, beer." That's right. <laughs> it was great. That's right. So, so you could do it that yeah, way too. That's why we. Uh, I actually did a video, you know, to to share sort of like two ways to drink it. You know, some people like a cleaner taste, so we we would say, okay, leave it in the fridge. You know, once it's once the the, the sediments settle, then you drink it. You know, uh, you get a cleaner taste. Um, but mm. how I personally like to drink it is, you know, like how you would pour a, a, a German Weizen beer, you know, or a, a Weizen, you know. Yeah. Get the yeah. yeast, rouse the yeast, pour it all in there, you know. It, it gives it so much of that tropical fruit explosion in your mouth, you know. That's, that's mm. in my opinion, that's the way to drink that beer, you know. But again, you know, drink it however way it pleases you. There you go. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> way you like it, I think that's, that's the best, yeah. But always out from a glass. Cool. <laughs> hey, let's wrap it up. So I want to yep. thank you so thank much you, for, uh, for, for uh, doing this. And uh, uh, I wish you all the best. Uh, it's, you're off to an amazing start. Thank you. I, uh, I love all your beers. And yeah. uh, next time I come to Singapore, I hope I find some more at Thirsty. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, if, if any of the, you know, the, your listeners, you know, if, if any of them are in town, you know, let's drop us a shout out. You know, we'd be happy to, you know, to bring homebrewers around, try different beers you know, meet other homebrewers, you know, that, that, that's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, I tell you, I, I told everybody else, I say, you know, if you go someplace, you go someplace strange, go to the homebrew shop. That's where <laughs> I met Daryl. And that was the beginning. Yeah. You know? All right, man. We'll see you later. All right. Thanks. Bye. 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 Stay safe. Yep. Bye. Bye. So what'd you think about that, man? I think it's fascinating to hear people's experiences in other countries and other supply chains and other problems. All right. <laughs> you know, to me, one of the biggest wow moments was when they were talking about homebrew stores in Singapore. And for some reason, that is just something that I was going to say seems foreign to me, but of course it is. Uh, but, I, you know, I just for some reason had never even considered the concept of homebrew stores in Singapore. But of course, they're everywhere, right? Absolutely. And I also just liked John's lesson about like, 
or John's thoughts about, you know, Hey, you know, look, I, I've, I've got to make a change and I don't want to be trying to do this when I'm in my forties and or, or older. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do this now. Yeah. The other thing that I liked was, uh, his philosophy, which is just like mine, of you pick a beer and you brew it over and over and over again until you have that beer perfected. Yeah, you would uh, like that. Yeah, I did, man. You know, uh, when he's right, he's right. What can I say? You could say he's wrong, but hey. Yeah, but he's not. <laughs> well, that's according to you. <laughs> well, that would mean I'd have to say I'm wrong, and you know, that, that ain't going to oh, happen. Oh, that never happens. So... Yeah. Hey, I, tell us what you thought. Did you, did you like this little slice of life from a, a foreign country? This uh, kind of peek into the other worlds. We've gone into South America before. And uh, hey, you know, I also got to say thank you so much to Eric for for going out of his way to actually do this for us. You know, he. Oh, man, really? What, what he had to go through to get this interview. Um, thanks a bunch for your dedication, buddy. Uh, and so, hey, if you have uh, people from other countries or really just anywhere that you want to have us interview or you maybe want to take a crack at interviewing yourself, you know, feel free, reach out, talk to us. We'll help you. Cause we like to hear from different people and different people's points of views. That's right. If you're going overseas and you think you can get a good interview for us, get in touch and we'll talk to you about it. I'd love to have you. I don't think it. it has to be overseas. Maybe just over the state boundaries. <laughs> yeah, right. That can be a foreign land sometimes too. Huh? Indeed. So, I think it's time for us to move on. I think it's time for us to move on, too. We're going to take a quick break and then come back and wrap this baby up. So stick around. So welcome back from break. We hope that you enjoyed your break. Now it's time for us to do the last couple of things we have to do to get you on your way. And that starts with a quick tip, which for this week comes from Mr. Khan. That's right. Um, with the National Homebrew Competition coming up here real soon, we thought that we would maybe just do a quick review of how to go about shipping beer for a competition. So here's my method. It's always worked for me and I've had no problems whatsoever. Hopefully it'll work for you as well. Start by putting each bottle into its own Ziploc bag, squeezing out all the extra air in there and sealing it tightly. Then you take that bottle in the Ziploc bag and you wrap it in bubble wrap. Uh, pack a few of those into a box. Make sure there's extra packing around if there's any extra space in the box so that they don't shift around in the box. The bag is great because should the bottle break, heaven forbid. So when you ship, we recommend that you avoid shipping with the U.S. Postal Service. They have actual laws against shipping beer, and we don't advocate anybody breaking the law. Uh, UPS, uh, FedEx, DHL, those guys have policies against shipping alcohol, but it's not beer. So use one of them and don't tell them what's in the box. You don't have to lie. You don't have to say something clever like yeast samples because they're onto that. Just say gifts or something innocuous that kind of describes what it is, but doesn't get too specific. For UPS, what I found works really great 
is to fill out all the shipping paperwork online so that you only have to drop the package off at your local UPS store. And that just really eliminates any other kinds of questions about what's in the box. That way you don't have to lie. You don't have to tell them, but you don't have to lie either. So there's our tips for shipping beer. If you guys have some other good ways, uh, let us know. I know that people put uh, beers in mailing tubes and stuff like that. I've never gone that far. This box method has worked so well. I've never been inclined to try and find anything else. Uh, I will also add that uh, another tip is use your local mom and pop shipping store. You know, fill things out online and then take the box to them. They are far less likely to ask you questions than an official UPS or FedEx store. Yeah, certainly, certainly can't hurt. So uh, I guess you got something other than beer this week. I do. So it's no surprise. I'm a huge lover of things science fiction. And one of my favorite TV shows, as I sit here, I'm looking up at a bunch of figures from the sadly defunct uh, Firefly from 2001, you know, the space Western from Joss Whedon. One of my favorite shows ever. And I kind of always miss it. And I do miss, you know, some good pulpy science fiction. And I just ran across a series of books called uh, the Keiko series. And it starts with uh, a book called Dark Run by Mike Brooks. And look, there is nothing innovative about these books. These books are pulpy science fiction at its heart, wears its influences on its sleeve. The author, Mike Brooks, freely admits to the, the whole series being incredibly influenced by Firefly and like by Han Solo and Star Wars and, and that sort of stuff. There are three books out right now, Dark Run, Dark Sky, Dark Deeds. I tore through Dark Run in about two days which, you know, should give you an idea of like, you know, it's just good, pulpy, fun, quick read. And I'm I'm just about to start up on uh, Dark Sky. I have some other reading that I have to finish first. So if you're looking for something, and I'm not kidding, the crew is basically the Firefly crew transferred to a whole nother ship. If you're looking for something very reminiscent of Firefly and sort of pulpy, go look for the Keiko series, starting with Dark Run by Mike Brooks. And then on the other side of that, in the not so pulpy and, you know, much more slow and thoughtful sort of science fiction. Well, we just recently lost uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, she passed away. I believe she made it to 89 uh, up there in Portland. And so I went to pick up one of her novels that I've never read before, uh, The Dispossessed. And it is, again, it's a, a slower read. It's one that you kind of have to work into because Ursula K. Le Guin was really kind of more poetic and sort of more thinking person sort of in science fiction. Mike Brooks's Dark Run that is much more, you know, your action adventure uh, Sunday movie type science fiction. So there you go. Two pieces of science fiction for you. Yeah, Ursula Le Guin has always been one of my favorite authors. Uh, Lathe of Heaven was uh, a book that just kind of blew me away. I read it shortly after I moved here to Oregon. It was about Oregon, so uh, I just absolutely loved and, it. And she also seemed like she was a pretty brassy, uh, strong lady, too. Yeah, sure did, didn't it, man? <laughs> You know, I guess you have to be when uh, you're one of the first women in the science fiction biz and uh, trying to get the respect of people. All right. Let's get out of here. Go read your science fiction. Thanks a lot for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the Reddit homebrewing forum and the Slack homebrew channel. 
I spend a lot of time on various discussion forums around there and Facebook, uh, including the AHA forum where I mainly hang out. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always send us an email to ask a question or suggest topics or recipes, experiments at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to talk to each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can always leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. We'll be right back.